Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. The success of the three of us is that we're all very capable of staying in our lanes. And so knowing that each of us has a clear path and a distinctive way in which we approach the business and then finding that intersection where those paths meet, I think is where our real beautiful journey is able to continue. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators served up on the house. Who first, then what? Who is going to help this restaurant succeed? Followed by, what do we need to do to make this restaurant succeed? Few decisions in life matter more than who we decide to partner with professionally. Today we chat with the team from Source Collab, a restaurant group helmed by Chef Amber, Cindy, and Beth. Three women from different backgrounds that have come together to create something incredibly special. Source Collab is our restaurant group, and underneath the Source Collab is the Source Cafe, which we opened 10 years ago this year, and the newly 924 Kitchen we opened two years ago during COVID, and then we also have a new baking company. It's a cake program called Sweet Rise, and so those are our three businesses under the Source Collab. Yeah, and we've been rolling, like I said, for about 10 years. Source Cafe started it all off. Okay, now, Beth, I want to start with you. You spent almost two decades with PricewaterhouseCooper before transitioning into real estate. And you're currently a partner in the CFO for Source Collab. And so you get financial modeling. Because of that, I'm curious to know what inspired you to move into the hospitality industry? What was the path that led there? And how were you able to make the numbers make sense in your own mind? Such a great question, and sometimes I wonder what happened in my life, but I'm really excited <laughs> where I am. And I spent, like you said, almost two decades, and I got to a point where I was going to be a partner there and realized that wasn't the life that I wanted. I had a family member that was very sick, and I was experiencing my own health challenges. So I took that as a sign of, hey, it's time to figure out life and do something different. I didn't know what that was, and I just took some time off to figure out my journey and did some real estate investing. And I really loved that aspect of it. The financial modeling behind that was really important, and I brought that to the table. But I didn't still feel fulfilled in my life. And one day, my puppy and I were sitting on the patio of the Source Cafe and Chef Amber came by and said, hey, I have a dog about your age, your dog's age, and they need a playmate. So soon we started trading dogs and became very close friends and became business partners. And I realized that I loved the financial business legal aspects of a business, but I really loved the idea of working with two women, Cindy and Amber, that 
were amazing women in the business world and also were giving back to the world in a restaurant in a way that fulfilled kind of my health goals. The combination of it was amazing. And I realized these ladies had been doing such an amazing job with the Source Cafe, but they didn't have the financial legal business side that would excel them to the next level. So I came in and we joined up and we started growing. And it's been a dream ever since. And it's been really fun just being able to look at a business that I don't want to say it's very archaic, but, you know, historically not technology focused and being able to help bring some technology and let our team focus on cooking and focus on what they do best and not battling technology and not battling numbers, because I love that. That's my passion. All right. Now let's bring in Chef Amber. What was your background before launching Source? Before launching Source. So I was trained Southern Italian. That was my training about 25 years ago. So I moved here 21 years ago to open up a restaurant on the Pier of Hermosa called Mediterraneo. And I was the executive chef there for 10 years. And so I ran that, worked the 80-hour chef week, burned the candle at both ends and ran myself into the ground. And it was an amazing 10 years. And at the end of that career, my health took a crash and realized, hey, I can't work like this. I can't live like this. My body hurt. And I was losing my passion for the type of food I was cooking and started to really wanted to heal myself with food. And that is basically a short story on how the Source Cafe was born because I was really sick and tired of feeling so awful in my body and knew that if I wanted to heal myself with food, that there was other people that had that need. And so, yeah, 10 years ago, opened up the source in Hermosa, a couple blocks up from Mediterraneo. So it was an easier transition because I could work both restaurants kind of there for the first six months, which only lasted a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting way to present the story because most people have a similar path, right? Like they're kind of burnt out in what they're doing and they think that entrepreneurship will cure it, especially as restaurateurs. We're like, man, if I was running my own restaurant, I'd do it really different. And typically the net result is that you end up buried in your own shit instead of somebody else's. How did you avoid that? Because it's not like you took a reprieve from being an executive chef to become a restaurateur. Was it harder? In what ways was it easier? How did it legitimately become a reprieve or did it not? Okay. It was definitely harder at first because I'd never opened up my restaurant by myself. Right. So I was kind of like flying by the seat of my pants and everyone's like, you're crazy to leave a really good job with a good salary and benefits. And I was like, in my heart and soul, I knew this is what I needed to do and take the risk. And I'm a huge risk taker. I fall on my face and I get back up. And I did, I opened up source work 90 hours a week. And you know, then it was like more legal stuff and then the hiring and contractors. And so that part of it was really hard until Cindy came on about six months after. And she and I had been friends easily 10 ish plus years. And she came on as my partner and took over all the baking. She's the mastermind baker. And so then I started to find support. And from the beginning, I had a really great following. But from the beginning, I decided that I wasn't going to work and live the life I did at Mediterraneo for 10 years because I was sick. And so I really started to learn how to delegate and ask for help more and stop being the martyr and started working with a business life coach and dove deep into the work I needed to do because I wasn't going to live that martyr chef lifestyle. Because my body was suffering and my mind was suffering. So, yeah. In that martyr lifestyle you talk about, I mean, I don't know if it's glamorized in our industry because Lord knows there's nothing glamorous about it, but it's certainly deified, right? 
if you work 50 hours a week, you're working a part-time job. And so it's really hard to get out of that mindset, especially as an entrepreneur, especially when it's so important to bring in partners that have no interest in that. Because I found myself in partnerships in the past where I was like, you know what? I'm going to let off the gas. I'm going to try and work 40 to 50 hours a week like a normal human being, create some balance in my life. And there was judgment from the people that I worked with. That was seen as a negative, even though I personally, internally felt a compulsion to try and live like a human being. Yeah. I mean, the more I started to take care of myself, my business thrived. The more that I started to ask for help and take those quiet days off and I got deep into meditation and my spiritual practices, I mean, I started to attract better employees because I was becoming a better person. And in that process, I think Cindy became a great partner. Cindy, you seem like the one that drew the short straw. You're a pastry chef, which means that you have a natural amount of patience, but you also take over day-to-day operations, which is something that requires more patience than a sink. What was your path into it and how has that evolved over time? Yeah, no, absolutely. So Amber and I both, this is the only industry that we've been in. You know, we both started in the restaurant business when we were teenagers It's something that we both have an enormous amount of passion for. But yeah, front of house was always my gig. Back of house and pastry was passion and front of house was work. And so coming on board with Amber and her and I having a friendship from the beginning and her knowing how much I love to bake and pushing me to go to culinary school when we were roommates eons ago really brought out my love for pastry and got me in the back of the house a little bit more. And then when Source started evolving and we needed more front of house support, it just made sense because I had had almost 30 years in this industry. And so now it's a beautiful combination of front and back, you know, where I get to still be creative and have my pastry side, but I also get to really be hands on with our team and with our guests and still work in the front of the house. What was the process that you used to kind of analyze your core competencies and then begin to seek out those individuals that you thought could fill in the gaps in your, we'll call it zone of genius. Okay. Zone of genius. I like it. So definitely my zone of genius is creating and back of the house. And I'm great at the front of the house. Like Cindy said, I've been in this business since I was a teenager and I've worked every position. And it was, I started to realize when Cindy came on, it's like, okay, I get to pass the baton for the behind the scenes and the operational side, because it was, my creativity was blocked. The more that I was diversifying myself. And I knew that if I wanted to keep creating and building this brand, that I had to let go of the front of the house management. And that was hard because I do love connecting with my guests. But at the end of the day, that wasn't my zone of genius. And definitely what all of my employees, especially my partners can say is when I really knew, like I said before, I'm a risk taker and I was making some probably not the best risk investments and losing some money. And I never had balanced anything. I never really looked at the P&L. You know, I was flying by the seat of my pants. I had CPAs that would help me. It was definitely wonky. When she, when Beth came on, which she was probably like, how have you been in business for like all these years? How have you been making money? It's like a shocking you've been making money because it's just not my jam. I don't know technology. I barely know how to check my emails. And so I knew that to take the source and now source collab and open up another restaurant and create Sweet Rise, take it to the next level that we definitely needed a CFO and we needed to clean it up a lot and start having more technology and She developed an inventory system. And yes, I always take an inventory, but I'm an old school chef. 
everything's pen and paper and now everything is starting to be computerized for us, which is amazing. I mean, it's good for functionality. I mean, food costing is improved. And so, yes, that is how I knew. I knew my weak point was definitely on the financial side and the operations. Yeah. Well, and you brought up a great point is that exactly what you were alluding to, Josh, is that the success of the three of us is that we're all very capable of staying in our lanes. Yeah. And so without that kind of boundary and without the support of one another and having that work-life balance, you know, Amber will look at me sometimes and go like, you need a day off. Like you've just been working too much. Beth will hold me accountable on something as far as financials goes. Like, hey, I didn't get this information back from you. And so knowing that each of us has a clear path and a distinctive way in which we approach the business and then finding that intersection where those paths meet, I think is where our real beautiful journey is able to continue. What are the common rules? What are the processes that the three of you have in place to ensure that the partnership itself is successful? So early in our partnership, I mean, before Beth came on, Cindy and I being best friends before and now partners, I mean, of course there were triggers, right? And we early on hired a business life coach and this woman literally saved our relationship. So for me, this is like a marriage and you have to work on every relationship. And so one of the biggest key components for us was meeting with this coach monthly. And I would get to say my frustrations and Cindy would get to say hers. And the triggers started to become less. That really, really helped with us being able to speak really openly and honest instead of shoving anything under the carpet. And then that caused a lot of resentment and this really weird energy in the air. What we really worked on was the three way, and this is something we teach to our team, the three ways that a person communicates. You communicate through your words, through your energy, and through action, through bodily movements. The biggest one and the way that we mostly communicate is through our energy. And so there would be a day where Cindy and I'd be working together and we would never even say one word to each other. And at the end of the shift, I'd be like, energy sucked today. (laughs) Like your attitude was this, this, and that. She was like, I haven't even said anything. And so we really have worked on that. And we've really taken that and worked on that with our whole team to let go of the trigger. So I think really, really taking triggers head on is like really important because it makes you look at your own stuff along with the other person. And then we brought Beth on and to have a threesome right now, we have a threesome in a marriage here. And it's like, okay, like Beth came from this analytical business world and literally we fly by the seat of our pants. Like I am totally the creative. And so Beth and I started out not oil and water in our friendship, but like the way that she managed and I managed in business was completely different. So for us to be able to meet in the middle and have someone help us get there was priceless because she was like, I want 500 spreadsheets in Google. And I was like, that makes me have a panic attack. I've never done that. And I'm in my forties. And so we never fight. It's always really important for us to put on the table our resentments because when those fester, that's an explosion. And then if our energy is not aligned, then it filtrates into our team. When you look at the success that you've experienced and you see the customer and employee loyalty that you have, what are you doing that has created that? We are a lifestyle brand. People come to us because they eat this way, because they have allergens that they're required to eat this way. They have dietary restrictions. They're concerned with what they put in their body because it matters. So we're lucky in that sense. And COVID was a perfect example of that. When other people were struggling, of course, we were struggling as well, but it didn't put aside those people's pre-existing conditions. And so 
having a place where you can fulfill that is, I think, a huge part of our sustainability. And I also think with that, people come in to see our employees. Yeah. I have employees now that have followed me from Mediterranean that have been with us for almost 14, 15 years. So the energy that our employees put off when they're working, they act like they're the owners, which is a great compliment. When a customer comes in, they're like, oh, we thought Adriana was the owner. It's like, well, that shows you how much she's taking ownership and she cares and how passionate she is about the brand. I would say we have more long-term employees than short-term employees, especially at Source Cafe, where we've been open for 10 years. The energy of the source is so amazing and you can't create energy. You can't force energy. Mm -hmm. And the energy comes from how we live our lives with integrity and then that transfers to our staff. And they're so proud. And we get to make a difference in people's lives every single day through food. And I always say to my team, like, hey, y'all, like we all have crappy days. We all have personal problems. We leave it at the door. What helps me get through a hard personal day is knowing I get to show up at work and I get to make a difference in someone's life. Some kid that's celiac that's never had a chocolate chip cookie now just had his first chocolate chip cookie or the list is so long. And I mean, people will come in and like have tears in their eyes because they can eat the food and then they feel good. And it's not your typical healthy food of what people think of broccoli and chicken. And we want to change that word. You know, healthy sounds awful to a lot of people. You come to our restaurants and every ingredient is just sourced beautifully and you feel good. And that energy trans, you know, it goes into other parts of your life, whether it's our employees, ourselves, our customers. And I just think it really makes people just really happy and live a better, fuller life. So they keep coming back. I love that you said that too, because we've been really intentional about keeping the word healthy out of our marketing and off of our menu. And we're not trying to push the fact that we're a healthy restaurant. Even with Sweet Rise, we're not trying to push the fact that it's gluten-free, vegan, paleo cakes. It's delicious food first that also happens to be A, B, C, and D. And it's sexy. And it's sexy. Because sexy is my favorite word to describe food. That was like, and so (laughs) my cookbook's coming out in a couple weeks called Sexy Nourishing Food to Fuel Your Body, Mind, and Soul. And it's actually 90% plant-based. And I wanted to show how sexy vegetables are. And so I always say that like healthy is the new sexy because when we feel good in our bodies, we feel alive and vibrant and amazing and beautiful and strong and sexy. So yeah, people always are like, oh, healthy food. We're not going to go there. It's like gluten-free and like tofu. It's like, no. Come on in, sit down, let me cook for you. We'll tell you afterwards what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. Let's talk about revenue versus profitability. When the pandemic hit, I think that there was a large swath of restaurant owners and operators that probably didn't know the difference between the two, right? Until the record stopped playing and 
the cash flow stopped coming in and they realized that there was no money in the bank. I'm curious to know for your businesses, what are the KPIs that you're tracking daily, weekly, monthly? What are the drivers, not of revenue, but of profitability for Source Collab? Well, and I think you kind of hit it on the head. They've changed over the past few years, which is very interesting to constantly chase. So a couple of things is food cost. We have a commissary kitchen that services all of our brands. So we use that to really make things more efficiently, which is fabulous, as well as shared labor costs. So not only food costs, labor costs, we've all in the restaurant world, seen a hit with Uber and DoorDash, but those things still are important to maintain your customer loyalty. So those are the big things. Looking at our packaging costs, one of the things I'm diving into more now really is the food costs. As we all know, food costs have risen significantly over the past couple of years with a lot of the food chain supply issues, et cetera. Everyone's seeing this. And we're using technology now to track that versus manually tracking food costs. And we have multiple restaurants where we're buying from the same vendor and those vendors are giving us different prices. So using technology, we're able to keep them honest and get better pricing at bulk prices. That's kind of where we're really focusing right now. The big thing, and Amber and Cindy will attest to this right now, the labor market's very difficult. So we have our loyal employees, but maintaining people and keeping them and even getting them is very, very difficult. So we have to keep a big eye on that right now. We are also living in this social world and the cost to hire someone to run your social media, whether it be a one-off person or an agency, the prices vary significantly. So we've, over the past few years, seen so many different proposals on what to do and where's your time and money effort spent. And it's very difficult to understand that return on your investment. And the world is turning into Instagram and TikTok. Old marketing of flyers in the mail and an ad in a magazine, it's rapidly changing. And the cost to do that is rapidly changing. I would also think that cadence plays a role. So I would say for my first 10 years as a restaurateur, the cadence was this, that we would do our absolute best to make money. Two weeks into the following month, we would get a PL that would let us know what we did wrong. And then we would spend the next two to four weeks trying to fix that. But that model doesn't work. I understand that it's like the conventional model within this industry, but you can never fix what's wrong because you're chasing it. You're so far behind that you never had the opportunity to catch up. What is the cadence for your financial review? Are you tracking in real time? And if so, what tools are you using? So a couple of things, and I 100% agree that cadence is important. And I think that's an area we definitely need to improve in. And we meet monthly with our team and our financials, but we do need to meet quicker. And I think from a food costing perspective, I do give that feedback to the team quicker to make those decisions. So a couple of the tools we're using now, one is called Mies for food costing. It takes our invoices in and gives us weekly costs of our ingredients and all our recipes. So that's a fabulous thing. We use Toast for our point of sale, but what we actually do is we take that data on a daily basis. I download it into a SQL server so that I can use my own data analytics tool to see in real time what we're selling. 
So our bakers on a daily, weekly basis are able to see what each store sells so they can change their pars for the day. And it's just an easier way to look than what Toast provides. It's a we're able to customize to our ability and see those reports real time to make daily changes of what we're making. You know what? People aren't really into buying sweet potato bread this week. We're not going to make as much. Or you know what? No one wants this at this store, but everyone wants it at this store. So they make those real time decisions to change their pars daily. And that's been helpful. But I think, you know, we need to start using the technology to be able to make those changes quicker. I want to talk about company culture. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask was, how is your company culture influenced by your gender? But it feels like a difficult question to ask because I don't ask the male guests that I have on the show, how does being a man, right? So it feels, and I'm just trying to be like honest and transparent, it feels inherently sexist to ask. But in the release that I was issued, you talked about divine feminine power and all of these things. And I've got to believe that on a foundational level, it does impact the company culture. If it does, how and am I sexist for asking that question? No, I don't think you're sexist. Yeah. So this is how I think that it affects culture being a woman owned boss or leader as I will come in, especially at the beginning of opening the source. And I'll just say, Hey y'all, I'm at a level 10. I'm really emotional today. I'm probably going to cry. Like I've always just been like super honest with my feelings or it's going to come out as anger or I'll go back in the kitchen and I'll say, don't mess up. I need you guys to hold it together because the front of the house is going down in flames. And I'm like at a 10 and I'm like literally freaking out because I grew up in the restaurant culture being screamed at and in a very toxic environment of going home every single night, crying, saying, I'm going to quit. I hate this. This is so awful. And I swear I'd never, ever, ever run a restaurant and have a culture like that. And so I will come in and literally say, I'm really having a hard day. We'll have pre-shifts meetings. We started doing gratitude circle years ago that we're a little slack on now, but that really helped with culture. And and at first my male employees, because we were male dominated at the time, they would look at me and, you know, we have a language barrier. And so we'd have it translated. I was like, I go around and say one thing you're grateful for. And these guys had never been asked that in their whole entire life. They're like, but I I don't know. So I think having being women and us all working on ourselves at all time and me always knowing that if to be a better leader, then I need to feel embodied and empowered and confident and show up, then I am able to lead and transfer this energy into my team. And really, it's the authentic communication of allowing and giving space to the employees to really feel their feelings. So it's like, okay, the managers at the end of the night, we get together. It doesn't matter if you're the dishwasher and the general manager, you get together at the end of the night and you're like, how was the shift today for you? And it gives the opportunity for anyone to say, wow, this is how the shift could have ran better for me. What could have I done better for you today? That took a lot of coaching. That took years and years to get that type of communication because I have a lot of employees that come from the old school, traditional yelling and screaming, I'm not allowed to say anything or I'm going to get fired kind of energy. I mean, women are more emotional. We are more sensitive. We're definitely more intuitive. And at the same time with intuition for the culture, I'll walk in. I know exactly how to talk to this employee versus this employee versus this employee. Like I know exactly how to go in and manage that situation at the right time. And that's taken a lot of personal growth and transformation for me, instead of bulldozing in and treating everybody the exact same. 
I sage the restaurant every month. We get it feng shuied. We've got dragons that we buried in the opening of 924 Kitchen. I do a lot of energy healing and clearings. And when our employees start, I like to do their human design and I put people in the right position for what they are able to do. And I think that that is definitely probably more something that a woman would do than a man, not to sound sexist, but it's just that more intuitive, emotional, nurturing energy. And it's okay. I've, all my employees have seen me cry. And you know what? In the olden days, growing up as in the chef world, I was the only woman in the kitchen. I would fight back my tears and act like a man. And so I would lived all in my masculinity. And finally, about eight years ago, I started on my divine feminine path and realized like I'm a woman and I'm going to show myself as a woman and I'm going to come in there and I'm going to be all of my feelings. And the more vulnerable and raw and messy I am, my team is there's more respect and there's more compassion from my team. And then it opens up the space for them to be able to do the same thing. So, yeah. There's so much value in showing your work in creating that space for vulnerability. I saw it in my own path as a restaurateur that when I stopped pretending to be perfect, there was massive opportunity for us to all improve as I was learning in public. Yeah. We're going to try this. I don't know if it's going to work or not hoping for the absolute best. If you have any feedback, I'll take it. Let's get started. The gratitude practice. I want to unpack that. We used to do it in pre-shift as well. It's incredibly valuable. I used to start every quarter by reminding people like, we do this because I'm trying to brainwash you. Because, <laughs> right? Because if you know every day you come to work, you're going to have to mention one thing that you're grateful for. And it can be the same thing that you said yesterday. You're going to think about it. And you're going to think about it when you're outside of work which means now you're focused on gratitude outside of work and inside of work. And naturally, it should theoretically make you a more grateful person. I'm curious to know from your experience, what was it like implementing that? What was the communication that you used with your employees to explain it? And what would you say like the tangible benefits were of doing so? I have a few favorite stories about that. I think initiating it was challenging because like Amber said, we had a largely male team and largely old school, older guys that had been in kitchens where this was like, what are you talking about? And so at the beginning, we gave them the opportunity to pass. You know, it was like, hey, if you can't even say I'm grateful the sun is out today, we're going to let you pass. And as time went on, they would be like, oh, well, I want to say what I'm grateful for today. And they got involved and it was more about the culture. And my favorite moment, and Amber, I know you'll remember this, is we've done it for so long. And then finally, we had a big, huge team meeting and we were about to conclude. And one of our old school, older gentlemen said, aren't we going to do gratitude circle? And we went around with, I think we had 40 of us there that night and it took over an hour because our team was so excited to share. And I get goosebumps thinking about it because it was like, wow, this has really grown into a big part of our culture and what our team really drives now. And it created this bond with our team and that like they would get lit up and somebody would say, oh, I'm grateful that my mom is out of the hospital. And then Mm. it would just share, we'd have like compassion for like this. Wow. I didn't realize that Beth's mom was in the hospital and now it created this, this connection and this bond and a lot of compassion for your fellow mate. And then that just definitely transpires into the energy that you put into the food, into the drinks, into the customer service. So, yeah. Let's talk about success. How do you define success? And has that definition changed or evolved because of the pandemic? 
So I think success for me started out when I was younger, like in my 20s, it was like all about making money. It was like, yes, look at my salary. It was like money, money, money. And now success for me is definitely how much of an impact I'm making in somebody's life or how much impact I get to make in the world through my food and my cooking. And measuring it for me, success is when we get emails and texts and DMs of like, thank you, chef, so much. You've changed my life. Like my body's better. My inflammation is decreasing. My family feels great. Like I'm so inspired. And so when I get to see a family or a person that's inspired to make a difference in their life through our food and our drink, I've seen employees that their whole family's life and diet and lifestyle has changed because of working at the source and then making changes in their diet and their life. And then that really lights me up. And that's, that's success for me. Anyone else? Feel free. I would echo that 100%, especially switching careers. It's I think you're driven younger out of college of I need to succeed. I need to move up in the world. I want to make partner. I want to make money. And over the past eight years, since I've now been working in the restaurant world, it's my success is really my health and my relationships and doing challenging things that I love. And like Amber said, of giving back to our team and community, it's really important. It's changed my life daily to live a life like this and not getting on an airplane and going to the grind and everything. It just makes my life just happier. And that really is success to me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we all want to make money. But I think that as we grow as a team, as a business, I mean, where I find success is seeing some of our team members and each other shining in their light. And so we encourage our team to make mistakes. And we're always going to have their back when they make that mistake. But watching them grow and watching them find themselves accountable for where they are and finding their true light and how they can shine. I can measure success on seeing our team grow. And not like by numbers, but just themselves as people. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Oh, wow. Let's see. For an industry, let's see. I think mine is if you're doing what you love and you're doing it with joy and full of passion, like the success will come, the money will come, and you can have balance in your life. We all struggle with it, but you can find balance in this industry. And I think that the more that you take care of yourself, and your health, that you can show up and be a better leader, a better CEO, a better chef, a better server, anything. And that transpires into all of your life. Yeah. I'm going to make a a little bit of a joke of, I thought you were going to ask how much of this is luck and how much do you attribute it to your success from (laughs) how it was. And I'm going to say, from what I've seen in the restaurant industry, just a tiny bit is luck. (laughs) And it's really the hard work and effort you put into it. Yeah. And surround yourself with good people. I mean, that's such an easy concept, but it's such a hard thing to do. Don't just take the job because it's what you've been looking for. Find the job that makes you feel more like you. That's Chef Amber Cottle, Cindy Van Pelt, and Beth Hanneman. For more on Source Collab, visit sourcecollab.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.